Hi, and welcome to Failureology, a podcast about engineering failures. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm Brian, and we're both from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Welcome, everyone, to our 24th mini-failure episode. If these each took an hour, that would be an entire day of listening to mini-failures. We're bringing you engineering failures in bite-sized pieces. Make no mistake, these are still significant failures, but they either have pretty straightforward causes or not enough information available for a full episode. These episodes are also just the failure, no news, and no ads, for now at least. It's like failureology light. This week's mini-failure is about the Ocean Tower on South Padre Island in Texas, USA. South Padre Island is almost as far south as you can go in Texas and is very close to the U.S.-Mexico border. The island itself is a barrier island along the Gulf of Mexico, including a resort town with a population of about 2,000 people as per a 2020 census. Ocean Tower is also referred to as Faulty Towers and the Leaning Tower of South Padre Island. And we're going to get to why shortly. That sounds like foreshadowing. <laughs> also, Faulty Towers, I think that's the name of that British comedy show from the 80s or 90s, right? It's a, it's a bit of a dry humor show. I think I've watched it a, a lot, actually. It's called Faulty Towers, right? I believe so. I, I think it's spelled differently than normal fault. I think there's a W in it, right? F-A-W-L-T-Y? I, I have not watched Faulty Towers. It's really funny. I remember watching it as a kid. Anyways, it just made me think of that. Back to Ocean Tower, it was a 31-story condo tower, or it was supposed to be, on South Padre Island, which is in Cameron County in Texas, USA. And it was a 143-meter tall tower intended to include 147 units, which were set to retail at $2 million US dollars each, which is a lot of money. The building was also supposed to have a gym, swimming pools, spa, and media room. And all of these things featured views of both the Gulf of Mexico and Laguna Madre, which is the body of water that sits between the island and the mainland of Texas. And the podium or the base of the tower also included a large parking garage. So these are definitely high-end units, very expensive, in a resort area, probably beautiful weather, beautiful views, and they offered a lot of amenities, high, high value this is a big stakes project, I think. There, these these projects are always very, let's say, high pressure because there's a lot on the line for something with this much profit at stake. Construction on Ocean Towers began on April 5th, 2006 after a month of structural testing. Construction stopped on the towers in the summer of 2008. Under the building, and I, I feel it's a fairly common way that a lot of stuff gets built in, in areas uh, like this in Texas. There's uh, there's pier support. So if you've ever seen a, a pier at the ocean or um, you know one of the floating docks, there uh, they have these these wooden support structures um, that are that are vertical. So those are the pier supports. These are like big columns, and they travel through unstable soil and sit on stable soil, which is usually bedrock. We talked about these a lot in the uh, Millennium Tower uh, episode, which was Mini Failure 18, that tower in San Francisco that's leaning to one corner. 
they also had honestly a similar problem with the piers. And so in Millennium Tower, the piers didn't go far enough down to the stable soil or the bedrock. And so the base of the piers wasn't properly supported. And that's how the tower started to lean. Um, so, so we've definitely talked about these before. They do look like giant columns under the ground, and they're meant to provide a strong foundation for the building. Yeah, so typically, like I mentioned, these go down to the bedrock layer or a more stable soil layer. And in the case of ocean towers, the piers here or the the pilings, they were 30 meters deep and they ran through a whole bunch of shifting clay before they went down to a, a more stable soil base there. And I'm not surprised with the requirement for piers here. The island, if you look at it on Google Maps, which of course I did, is not very large. It's a it's a very small island and so the the ground itself is so unstable and there's so much likely shifting as the islands reform and and adjust as the the water flow changes you've also probably got some pretty saturated soil as well and so you're probably seeing some some movement there as the water levels rise and fall Eventually, though, these pier supports, they started to buckle and they stressed beams and columns, which caused cracking, spalling and breaking. And eventually the building began to lean to the northwest, which is not something you want to happen in your building. Certainly the people that are buying these units for two million dollars a piece, they would generally expect a very straight plum building to live in and not one that tilts off to the off to the northwest. So the parking garage and the tower, they were supposed to be built as separate structures, interconnected from a usage point of view, obviously, but not structurally connected. In reality, though, these were connected structurally, meaning that the weight of the tower was transferred to the garage instead of the tower's core and the pier supports below the ground, which obviously would contribute to this building leaning quite a bit. So the units in the in the tower, they start at 17 meters above sea level, which is great because the area is prone to storms and hurricanes. So they, they've built this structure kind of above the, the prevailing natural disasters in the area. And in order to withstand these storms and hurricanes, the building design included three massively reinforced core walls. So it sounds like a lot of this stuff is good from a design perspective. They've mitigated natural disasters. They've built this you know, these, these core reinforced core walls to, you know, again, help out with a natural disaster. So some of this design stuff is looking really good in this building. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they've designed this building for storms and hurricanes, yet the foundation wasn't strong enough to support the tower. That seems like a bit of an oversight on, on their part. I, but again, going back to what Brian said, the the tower was essentially supposed to be self-supporting. And so the tower structure was supposed to run through the parking garage into the piers below. But instead, the tower sits on the parking garage and then the parking garage sits on the piers, which is what was not supposed to happen. And so there seems to be a disconnect between the geotechnical design and the structural design as far as how the building is to connect to the foundation. I will also say there's a lot of there's pretty limited data on this failure. It was pretty recent. I think because I couldn't find an outcome, the legal component is still ongoing, I would suspect. We don't know if the construction was part of the issue, if they 
perhaps contractor didn't follow the drawings or if the drawings were wrong in the first place. There's just things we just don't know. And that's why this is a mini failure because there's really limited information. If we happen to find more information later on, maybe we'll come back and revisit it. But for right now, what we do know is that it it wasn't built properly and it led to some pretty extensive structural issues that had to be dealt with. So there was an investigation into cracks that were found throughout the tower, and that investigation revealed that the building had sunk between 360 to 410 millimeters, which is a lot. This is over a foot, almost a foot and a half for our non-metric friends. So that's pretty extensive. You know, I'm only a little more than five feet tall, so this is like 20% of my height this tower has sunk through construction. So this building's not even finished. It's not been turned over, hasn't been occupied. This is in the two years that it was being built that it sunk this much. Imagine how much worse it could have gotten um, if it had been allowed to continue. The developers did try to fix the problem. And the plan was to install garage beams separated from the tower and install new columns under those beams. And once those new columns were fully braced, the beams could be cut away and the foundation could be repaired. But at the end of 2008, after a number of engineering studies, the repairs were deemed too expensive to make the development economically viable, meaning that they cost the same as or more than the developer would have made in profits. A hundred of the 147 units were sold at the time, so about a third of the units had been sold by the time they decided to demolish the building. The tower was demolished by way of controlled implosion on December 13th, 2009, about 18 months after construction was stopped when the cracks formed at the building's supporting columns. And the building weighed 50,000 tons at the time of demolition. Any material that could be recycled or resold, including fixtures, fittings, steel, flooring, and windows, were removed from the demo and sold to try to recoup some of those losses. Interestingly enough, this is the sixth tallest building to be demolished by implosion. So implosion is the method of demolition where you set a whole bunch of charges on the interior of the building and you cut away some columns and supports and then they set off all these charges and the building kind of pancakes down on top of itself. Typically this happens for you know taller buildings. It's a very controlled method to demolish a building. It looks really cool when it happens. I'm sure there's tons of videos on YouTube that you can go look up and, and watch. But so this was the sixth tallest building demolished in this in this manner by explosions. So the tallest building that was ever demolished by implosion, it was Mina Plaza One in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, and that was 38 floors tall. So this building it was topped out in 2014, it was never completed, and it was demolished in 2020 as the tallest and, and really newest building that was ever imploded. Looking around like where Nicole and I live um, in Calgary, there's not a lot of buildings in Calgary that are even 38 floors tall. There's a there's a few that are above that, but to demolish a building that's 38 floors tall, 100 just under 170 meters tall, that's a massive building to demolish, basically within its footprint. Some of the other ones of note, the second tallest one uh, is the JL Hudson Department Store in Detroit, Michigan. This was 134 meters tall, 29 floors. This one was an older one. It was built in 1911, and it was demolished in 1998 due to the bankruptcy of JL Hudson Department Stores, and it was replaced by Hudson Tower in 2017. The third tallest tower that was was demolished by, by implosion, it's another one in Texas, and this one was 120 meters tall, 30 floors, 
built in 1952, abandoned in 1990, and damaged in a tornado in 2000. So the cost to renovate was unviable, and it was demolished in 2006. So that one, that one to me makes a lot of sense. You know, it was there. You know, it's an older building. It was built in 1952. It would have been abandoned for a long time. A tornado destroys it. It's just not viable to, you know, repair a lot of these buildings. And especially with it being from that year in 1952, there's, there's probably a ton of retrofit work and rework that needs to be done to bring it up to a modern commercial-type standard. So demolishing that place makes a lot of sense to me. The fourth tallest one is the Jinhao building in Xiang, China. It was 118 meters tall, 21 floors. It was built in 1996 and demolished in 2015 for the redevelopment of the tower site. So this building, it hadn't been used for decades, even though it was legally the property of the Jinhao Pharmaceutical Factory. So again, there's a building that went up, hadn't been used in a long time. It was essentially abandoned. They wanted to have more room on the site for further development. So it comes down. The fifth tallest one is the AFE Turin in Frankfurt, Germany. This one, 116 meters tall, 32 floors. It was built in 1972 and demolished in 2014 for redevelopment of the tower site. It's the tallest building to be imploded in Europe. And then we come to number six, Ocean Tower that we've been talking about in this episode. So the Ocean Tower, I feel, is in some fairly elite company on this list. All of these buildings are fairly tall. I mean, the the, the shortest one is 116 meters, which is still substantive for a tower. I mean, that's that's 32 towers where... Where I live, my condo building, it's it's 18 stories, and I think that's fairly high. I've worked in some offices around like floor 24, floor 30, and to think that buildings that are that tall are just imploding and kind of pancaking within their footprint, that's really, really cool. I guess something I want to add, residential floor-to-floor heights are usually a lot lower than commercial. The ceiling heights in commercial usually need to be a little bit taller and they need taller ceiling spaces because there's usually a lot more systems that need to pass through to serve various parts of the building. It's not uncommon for us to see shorter floor-to-floor in residential applications. So the fact that this was a residential building that's on this list with some pretty, like Brian said, elite company, I think that's that's pretty impressive. I also thought this list was interesting. It was definitely a rabbit hole that I went down while researching. And I I thought that you all would like to listen to it as well. I think it's really interesting when a building is built, especially something this large, and then is abandoned for several years. There is a really old building uh, that was intended to be a train station a train station and office building in downtown Detroit, really close to the Ambassador Bridge. And it's been abandoned for its entire existence. They built it thinking that that part of downtown would be revitalized and it would be kind of in the center of everything. And then that never happened. So the building has never had occupants. And I think it was built in the early 1900s. And I just think that is so fascinating that these huge structures are just abandoned. And so I thought it would be really cool to share that with with all of you. As I kind of alluded to earlier, there was a lawsuit. So the developers sued the geotechnical and structural engineering firms for 125 million US dollars. Both of those firms are located in Texas. As I mentioned, I wasn't able to find the outcome of the lawsuit, whether it was settled or whether it 
ended up going to court. I'm assuming it didn't go to court because there would probably be news articles on it. It could also still be pending. It could be something that they're still looking into. This, I mean, I know it's been a little while. 2009 wasn't just yesterday, but it is still somewhat newer. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the outcome was, but I did look up the names for both the geotech and structural engineering firms, as well as the general contractor. And I was able to find websites for all three of those that appear as though they're all operating in the Texas market today. So I don't know exactly what that means. I'm assuming if they collectively were sued for $125 million, that's that's definitely challenging to recover from. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure what the outcome of this was. If you know or are able to find out, please let us know because I would I would love to know. I spent quite a while researching and trying to figure out what had happened and I just couldn't I couldn't even find a, a simple news article. So there you have it. Ocean Tower in South Padre Island, Texas. The 31-story luxury tower was no match for the unstable soil on a small barrier island off the Gulf of Mexico. There are other towers just as tall on the island, but they are still standing. Thanks for listening to this mini failure episode. For our regular episodes, check out Failureology wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to chat with us, our Twitter handle is at Failureology. You can email us at thefailureologypodcast at gmail.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, or you can message us right in the Patreon app. There are links to all of these in the show notes. Bye, everyone. Talk soon. <laughs>